morning, church. Um, I'm Joel Dunn, and it is my privilege to read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, untimely born he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and by his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then, whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. Amen. Um, as the kids go to their class and the, the band and the choir uh, gets off stage, I just want to say good morning again and thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, thank you all for, for coming and celebrating with us. This is the, the celebration of our second birthday. August 15th is that official day, but um, today we gather and uh, later we will uh, gather again to eat and to swim. And if you're not into swimming, just come and eat, and that's okay. Um, but we're, gonna, we're just going to celebrate. And I was telling the, the band in the choir earlier um, that today's not a big day because Redeemer's great. Today's not a big day because we have a new sign out there. Thank you to everybody who helped with that. Today's not a big day um, because uh, two years ago, we started something brand new. Today's not a big day because when we look back, we look back on all the accomplishments we had and the fruit that we bore. Today's not a big day for any reason that has anything to do with us. Today is a big day because when we look back on the last two years, we can confidently and honestly say, man, I didn't do anything there, right? Just look back on the last two years of your life and all the wins and successes and all the good fruit that was born. That was not us. And we look back as a church, and two years ago, there was a tenth of the people that this started with. Maybe that's a little drastic, but there was a very small number of people. And I can only look back and, and say, I didn't do that. I showed up. I said yes to Jesus but none of this was on me. And that, that relieves the pressure to make days like today just a, an opportunity to say thank you to God. And so that's what worship is about. That's what Sundays are about. And so we, we, we put, make a point in our year to stop and to celebrate our birthday as a church, not because we're celebrating us, but because we're celebrating God we're celebrating Jesus for building this church because when we celebrate, we look back and we remember and we say thank you. But when we look back to celebrate, we're also trusting as we move forward, knowing that what God has done in the past, he will continue to do. 
okay? And so that, that's why we celebrate. You see it in the hallway, these three signs, pray, celebrate, go. Celebrate is in there for that reason because we need help remembering and we need help trusting, okay? And I know that's backwards for you, but it's not for me. I'll try to remember that next time. <laughs> um, this is our second week in our vision series. We're going to be uh, working through uh, the next portion of our vision, this, this central part. And just to remind everyone what we've been repeating, that we hope to be, we long to be, Redeemer is. We identify ourselves as a multiplying church family, learning and living in the good news of Jesus together in San Angelo. And the, the central points of that vision statement are gospel, community, and mission. And we hit on gospel twice because, guess what? We have gospel amnesia. We forget the gospel, don't we? We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of, of what the gospel has to do with our learning and how we grow and mature as believers And last week, we talked about how that has more to do with our posture, the way that we come to Jesus, than our practice, what we do for Jesus. And so this week, we're going to focus on living in the gospel, and living in the gospel is about our position, not our performance. Living in the gospel is about our position, not our performance. Now, let's explain a little bit what that means Um, we actually changed our vision statement. It hasn't always been learning and living in the good news. It used to just be learning and living the good news of Jesus. And those two little words, those two little letters uh, seem very insignificant. It was last, this past spring of this year that we decided to make that change from living the gospel to living in the gospel, And I wondered, would people even notice if we put in right after living? Maybe not. And then I wondered if people noticed, would they even care? Maybe not. But I believe in it. And this this message today, using 1 Corinthians 15, is me not just trying to explain. I'm not trying to defend anything. I don't have to do that. But it's trying to help you see differently the role of the gospel in our lives. And so um, this morning, what I hope is that we would just begin. We'd begin on the path of understanding who we are in Christ, what that means to be in Christ and in the gospel, not just as individuals, but as an entire church. Why would we make that change? Why is that so important? And uh, before I get really into using the word gospel over and over and over and over, I want to clarify um, how we're using that word, what we mean. I want to uh, explain it again. So could you put that definition up one more time? We defined it last week. I'm going to define it this week. And uh, because there'll be new people, we'll define it again and again and again. We're going to keep coming back to this. When we use the word gospel, what we are saying is that the gospel is the good news that God's kingdom has come near in Jesus Christ, and that through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, the powers of sin and death no longer have the last word. That's what we mean when we use the word gospel. Okay, so now back to our main thought, our main idea. Living in the gospel 
is about position, not performance. Um, there's an author, counselor, pastor, Paul David Tripp. Some of you may have heard of him. In a few of his books, actually, he references this image when he starts talking about the difference between living the gospel and living in the gospel. He uses this image of a tree. Now, imagine in your minds a dead tree, scorched, fruitless, leafless, bark falling off. If you need to imagine it, just come to my house. I have one in my front yard. You probably have one too. Not hard to imagine. Now, living the gospel, Paul David Tripp says that it's like taking fresh fruit that you got from H-E-B and somehow strapping that fruit onto the tree and saying, look at this tree, it bore fruit. And everyone's like, no, it didn't. You're crazy. But focusing on the, the production of fruit, focusing on our ability to live the gospel, is as silly as strapping fresh fruit on a completely and obviously dead tree. Living in the gospel, rather, is like that tree, by some miracle of God, reviving back to life, the bark regrowing onto it. And then somebody takes that tree and uproots it from the dead, empty, scorched soil and plants it in fresh new soil. So now that it's alive and it's attached to the source of life, it can now bear fruit passively by the power of God, right? This is living in the gospel where the attention is not on the fruit. The attention is on the source of life. And so Colossians 1 helps us understand what this has to do with position. If we take this image of the tree uh, Colossians 1 explains that Jesus, in his uh, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, plucked us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved Son, his holy heavenly kingdom. That in Mark 1.15, when the first words reported in Mark of Jesus, he says, repent and believe, the kingdom is here your opportunity to be taken out of darkness and put in God's kingdom has come near to you. Living in the gospel is about position, not performance. Now, this is not just a conversation about church-wide vision. It wasn't something that I was like, man, how can we be a better church? How can we strategize better? How can we be more clear, more gospel-focused as a church? This is a very personal conversation. Because that change had to happen in me first. Um, I've, approached my, I've approached my parenting uh, like this for a long time. One of, the, one of the things that might help you understand like this framework, when we say living the gospel, another way that we say that is we've got to be the gospel, right? Or um, we've got to be Jesus. We need to be Jesus to each other. We need to be Jesus or be the gospel to the, the, the unbelievers, right? I've said it, and I've heard it, and what we mean when we say that is good because I think what we mean, what I mean, when I, what I used to mean is 1 John four nineteen. I can't love without first receiving God's love. 
We love because he first loved us, right? That's what we mean when we say, be Jesus. But that's not what we're saying. If what we're meaning is something different, let's say something different. But what we're saying when we're saying we need to be Jesus to each other or be Jesus to them is that the power to bring the kingdom of heaven near is in us, right? We just explained the gospel, that through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, he brings the kingdom near. Can we be Jesus? We can't be Jesus. We need Jesus. And so when we're focusing on living the gospel, what we're saying is that we can. How wicked and evil and twisted is that? And so here's what happens. When I parent my kids under this framework of, okay, if I could just be Jesus to them, if I could just live the gospel to these kids, they would get it. That was not dramatic pause. I really had a dry mouth, but it worked out. What that does is put, puts the, the burden of the state of my kids' souls on my behavior. When we say we need to be Jesus to each other, then what are we judging each other by? How well we're being Jesus. What is our confession? That Jesus was Jesus. I don't need you to be Jesus to me. I need Jesus to be Jesus to me. So when we, when we have this, this convincing idea, it sounds good, and what we mean is good, right? I, I literally cannot love my children on my own power. But the confession of the gospel is that I am weak, and I can't love my children on my own power. And you don't have to be a parent to take this picture and, and this illustration and apply it to your own life. We cannot be Jesus. We cannot be the gospel. We can only receive the gospel. And so what I'm hopeful for is that in this conversation, we would just begin. We just begin to see a little bit more clearly what the gospel is, what is our role in it, and what is Jesus' role and the Holy Spirit's role in it. Because um, what I hope for all of you is, like, this has been my experience, not that you would walk out and just a switch was flipped. I don't expect anybody to do that. That's not ever happened for me. Like, oh, I heard a sermon, now I'm different. I don't expect that. Don't expect that from yourselves. Don't expect that from each other. But what I hope and what I pray, what, what Brian and I pray for, is that you would welcome the slow, gradual, and graceful work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that 10 years from now, you would look back and you wouldn't say, that moment, everything changed. But that you would look back 10, 10 years from now and see the transforming power of the presence of God in every moment of your life. And you cannot do that when your attention and your focus is on your fruit. We've got to live in the gospel like a fish lives in water. You just be in it. Get life from it. 
Let's look at our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at the first two verses. Now, if you're turning there, if you're going to use a screen, however you want to do that, I want you to pay attention to the role of the gospel. What is the gospel doing? This is the end of 1 Corinthians. Um, A little context about this book. The Corinthian church was messed up. They, They were... I cannot find a witty, funny word in my brain right now. They were, they were rough. Sinners turned saints, right? We can identify with a lot of, of the Corinthian church. And this is how Paul decides to end his letter. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. In which you stand. So the first activity of the gospel is that it gives us a new place to stand, a new place to exist. The second is that It is ongoing transformation by which you are being saved. Now, one thing, another thing I've said, I'm not trying to change the whole culture of Christianity. That's not my job. But one thing that I used to say was, oh, I was saved at at this moment. Um, As if it was like this this point in time where Jesus did a thing and now I took over. (laughs) Paul is very clear to this Corinthian church, that the gospel is continually saving us. There's nothing for you to do in that. Just receive it. And so if we look at this activity of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, we notice that living in the gospel is about position, not performance. Ephesians 2, 5 through 7 says it this way. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Look at that word in. Before the gospel, where were we? In sin. In our trespasses. Not only where were we, how were we? Dead. There's nothing we could do for ourselves. We were dead in our trespasses, in our sin. But God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You were dead. You couldn't bring yourself alive, but God made you alive. For the same reason that we celebrate, not because we're awesome, but because God is good. Let's keep looking at Ephesians 2. By grace, you have been saved. Grace means, um, short is unmerited favor. Uh, It's goodness and kindness towards you that you didn't earn. You didn't do anything for that. By grace, you have been saved. And now what? What's our, what's our spiritual reality? That we have now been raised up with Christ. He, he raised us up with him and seated us with him. Where? In the heavenly places. In Christ. So that in the coming ages... 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This, this verse puts the emphasis on my kids' belief in not how well I can be Jesus to them and, and like this compulsion that I have to, to be so kind and so transformed to them that they're like, man, what's got, what's got into this guy? We need to do whatever he's doing. Oh, he's Jesus. it's looking to Jesus, okay. But that, I would, I would simply say, I didn't do anything and I'm still not doing anything. Because when I fail and then I say, by grace, I've been saved, then when my kids fail, they can say, by grace, I've been saved. Uh, the gospel gives us a brand new standing. Remember for, uh, Colossians 1, out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. Ephesians 2, we are in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, the other part of that 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is actively, presently, ongoingly, is that a word? Yeah, Brian's shaking his head, it's a word. Continuously, that's a better one. Continuously saving and transforming us. Let's look at um, 2 Corinthians. So Paul writes this letter in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church because they're rough. And then they start growing and changing. The gospel just like continues to grow and transform them. And then in 2 Corinthians, he writes them again and says way less hard things and way more like, hey, keep believing the gospel. You're doing awesome. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Look at this encouragement of what you're not responsible to do for yourself. And not only are you not responsible, you can't. And we all with unveiled face, meaning like our ability to be present with God is no boundaries now. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So that's talking about um, our transformation, this, this, uh, the gospel that by which we are being saved. And if you think back to last week, this learning the gospel portion that we talked about, and it's gradual. You can't just say, okay, I'm a Christian. I should be better than this now. There's a gradual one degree of glory to another. It takes time. It takes time. Look back 10 years and see the presence of God in every moment. But who's doing it? Look at the very end of 2 Corinthians 3.18. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He, he's going to say something very similar at the end of our passage. The emphasis of these first two verses of 1 Corinthians 15 is explaining to us that the single most important outcome of the gospel is not your activity it's not your behavior. The single most important aspect of the gospel, the single most important accomplishment of the gospel was to glorify God, not by making us less bad people. Does that, is that like making sense? 
Like, how small of a goal that we would just be less bad. The glory of God was won on the cross when, and this is the single most important part of the gospel, when our entire reality was completely transformed from the domain of darkness, from being dead in our sin and being brought alive in the gospel, in Christ, seated in the heavenly places. Now, what does that, like, what does that mean practically? Because we have to walk out of here and we have to go live our lives and we can't just like only think about, I'm in the gospel, I'm in the heavenly places. And we, right, that's not practical. What does this even mean? Well, first of all, we have to believe, we have to understand and we have to believe that our spiritual reality is far more real than our physical reality. You can be fooled easy here, right? And I don't, I don't even mean like optical illusions. That's like, we shouldn't trust the, the physical world just from that alone. But we can't trust our minds. We can't trust, um, we can't read each other's thoughts. So we like to assume things. We have a really hard time really deciphering what's real and what's not in this life. But the truth is that our spiritual reality is far more important and far more real. And what scripture has to say about our spiritual reality is that we are in Christ. We are in the heavenly places. This means that you are literally, this is where this comes into, in you have to believe that the spiritual is more real and more important because you are literally in the presence of God constantly. That's practical. Like we don't, we don't feel it. We have a hard time believing it here because life feels so ordinary. But how incredible is that? That God doesn't, require us to be in this hyper-emotional and, and hyper-spiritualized like, and what we think is spiritualized state. They're like, we're, on a, we're just on a higher plane than everybody. No, the presence of God is ordinary. And because you are in Christ, in the heavenly places, he is with you always. Because your spiritual reality is completely transformed. This is what um, this, this kingdom being brought near is communicating. Um, it also means that when, when Jesus took your place on the cross, see the, the perfect life lived, he, put on the, he was put on the cross and um, this perfect life was sacrificed. That's a perfect sacrifice. That means it's permanent. It extends in both directions of eternity, right? The, the perfect sacrifice not only did he take your place on the cross, that should be us up there. Not only did he take our place in the grave, that should be us down there. But when he rose from the dead in his resurrection, our new spiritual reality is in Christ. When he was resurrected, you are resurrected in him. That means, and scripture says this, Wish I would have put it in my notes because I can't remember the reference now. 
You will not die. Our bodies will perish. Our souls will live forever. And God will miraculously transform our bodies. He'll give us brand new bodies. Can't wait for that day. We will live together, not just with Christ, in him. Transformed reality. Living in the gospel is about position. Let's not even talk about performance, please. At this point, who cares? Here's the only application I have for you today. Hear it. Receive it. Be in it. Come back to it. We're going to forget. We, we have gospel amnesia. It's not that we will have it. It's not that someday, eh, I just, I don't know. Someday I'll forget. We, we have it. You'll forget that it's about your position. You'll forget that you are already in Christ. You are already in the resurrection. You are already in the presence of God forever. You'll forget that. You will make it about performance. I do, we all do, we'll put more attention on on the activity and the behavior and the fruit, and we'll doubt ourselves. We're just going to do it. So what do we do with that? We need the, the, the body of Christ around us. We need the word of God in front of us. We need to worship. We need to pray. Not because we're Christians and we're supposed to do it but because I need help remembering that I'm already in Christ. I'm already in the gospel. I can't be the gospel. I can't be Jesus, but I'm already in him. Let's look at, um, let's look at what Paul has to say in the last four verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 11. And before I read, I just want to remind uh, everyone, the, the four weeks of this series, the last, last week was learning the gospel. This week is living in the gospel. And that gospel focus is incredibly important because the next two weeks, sorry, I'm doing it again. The gospel, the gospel focus is important because the next two weeks is going to be unity and mission. These are the activities. These are the fruits We have to be very clear about where the fruit comes from, who we are, where we stand, what we're in, who we're in, before we can ever talk about what we do. There is activity to the gospel. It would, we would not be living in our spiritual reality if we're just like, yeah, so whatever now. I just do whatever I want to do because I'm in Christ. That's, that's not love. That's not receiving the love of Christ. We, we do respond, but it's not a compulsive response. It just flows out of us when we receive the love. When we receive the gospel and live in the gospel, our unity and our mission then are impacted. And so before we ever talk about the activity and the fruit of the gospel, we have to get very clear our position and our posture, Okay. And that comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 11. 
Let's look at what he says. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Let me pause right there. When Paul says, I worked harder than any of them, he says that on the heels of recognizing his spiritual reality being completely transformed. This guy went from killing Christians to making Christians. But even that statement, what I just said, making Christians, this hard work of preaching the gospel and doing the ministry, being unified with the church. Look at what he says, on whose power? Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. How is the gospel received? When it's not fresh fruit stapled to a dead tree, guys. If I continue to not just treat my kids, but everyone, my, the rest of my family, my friends, my staff, this church, if I continue to treat you like um, my behavior will lead to your transformation, then when that doesn't happen, shame, right? And if it does, it's not gonna, but if it does, I'm like, oh, I was there for that. I worked pretty hard for that. Now I'm taking God's place as the active agent in your transformation. That is, that is bad news. That will not work. That will kill us. But by the grace of God that is with me. The confession being made here is that Paul has been transformed, completely transformed by the gospel. And so now it's this transformation, this brand new spiritual reality that he's preaching. Paul's activity in the gospel, his, his preaching, his ministry, his, his unifying the church, uh, it was not a demand of the gospel. So it's not like, okay, now you believe, now you must. Rather, it was the fruit. It just, it just came out. It happened. Because Paul was transformed, the gospel was active. Um, and so, as we're thinking back on this last week, learning the gospel, now living in the gospel, um, what, what Brian and I hope for you moving ahead is that you would see that there's nothing for us to do. Your application next week is not, okay, here's five tips for how to be a unified church. Here's this brand new mission statement for Redeemer that's gonna really get you hyped. That's not what it's gonna be. It's gonna be when, when we get out of these doors, what's our primary focus? The gospel, Jesus. And so we have to keep coming back to him because we're gonna forget we have to keep coming back to him because we're going to get it wrong. We have to keep coming back to him and remembering. And just so we're all on the same page here, 
Jesus knows you'll forget. He already knows it. And he's already just like, yeah, that's right. Come on. Um, we're not going to have a typical benediction this morning. Um, once I, I'm about to start saying some communion things. Ben, if you want to go ahead and come up. Um, but our benediction this morning, we're going to sing the doxology together. That's a way better benediction than I could ever give you. So what we're going to do is take communion in this next song, and then we're going to sing the doxology. And when that's done, I'll just come up and I'll, I'll simply dismiss you. I want to let you know, uh, just so it doesn't feel more awkward than it already will be, um, but we take communion for the same reason we celebrate our birthday. We take communion to look back, to remember what Jesus has done for us in bringing the kingdom near, to look back and remember what it cost him and what it was meant to cost us. We take communion, we take the bread that represents the body of Christ broken for us. We take the, the cup that represents the blood of Christ poured out for us. We, we take it to celebrate and remember because we need help trusting moving forward. And so we're gonna take it together as a body because this is our corporate confession as a church. Now, for those of us who trust in Jesus, would we take the bread? Would we take the cup? Would we celebrate and remember? Would we look back so that we can look forward and trust that we stand in a new place and that we are being saved? Would you please join me at the table?